Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 20 of the Practical 365 Podcast with me, Steve Goodman, and as always, Paul Robishaw. How are you, Paul? I'm great, Steve. How are you today? I am not bad. So you're out and about traveling the world. Whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Krakow, Poland this week, meeting with the rest of my product team. I hear they're lovely people out there. In fact, my, my grandma's from Krakow, actually. So if I happen to run across her, I'll be sure to tell her hello. <laughs> uh, well, she's she's not there now. Uh, moving swiftly on uh, from that, got a word from our sponsors. Are you dreading your next tenant to tenant migration or don't know where to start? Well, Quest Software's migration and consolidation solutions help to minimise the risk, time, cost and complexity associated with migration and consolidation projects. Breathe easy, knowing that you don't have to plan and execute the next migration project on your own. Visit Quest.com today to learn more about their wide range of migration, planning and consolidation products. Tools you know very well, I think, actually, Paul, from your time at Quest. I do. I know them quite well, and that's why I'm happy to say I will probably never have to do another tenant-to-tenant migration, (laughs) thanks to not working in that part of the industry. I can't say the same. um, Not for the faint of heart. Uh, but I'm, I am happy, actually, to recommend them because we use them where I work at Content and Cloud. Um, so they are great tools, um, heartily recommended. But moving swiftly on from um, shoving adverts down uh, your throat, Exchange Online now supports license stacking. They figured out a way to get you to pay more than once for the same thing, which is genius. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, seriously, what, what can happen is, that, and this is fairly common in enterprises, especially those who are using any kind of group-based licensing, whether they're using a tool like on-demand license management from Quest or uh, Azure AD group licensing. What happens is that you may have multiple licenses with the same set of capabilities yeah. or overlapping sets of capabilities applied to the same user. So the most common example is that you've got a user who's got a, a frontline license of some kind. Yeah. And then you decide that you're going to add an, an E3 license because you want them to be able to use desktop apps, just for one of many examples. Now that now when you do that, you've got two Exchange Online licenses. Yes. And in the past, what would have happened is the minute you unassigned the first license, Microsoft would decide, oh, this account doesn't have a license, it's inactive, I'm going to start the process of... Uh, decommissioning the mailbox and marking the mail as, you know, the mailbox is inactive and so on. With license stacking, essentially what happens is that Microsoft will give the account the sum of all of the rights from all the licenses that might apply to it. And yeah, as you say, it's not uncommon to have to do this. I mean, with shared mailboxes where this isn't a problem, it's quite common to need to add an Exchange Online Plan 2 license if you've got retention requirements. But as you say, frontline right. workers, you know, as well. Um, I'm not sure I'd agree it's, it's not quite paying twice for the same thing. Um, but then the other flip side of that is if you need compliance in Exchange Online, you probably need it in other workloads too. So yeah. you know, as people deploy more and more Microsoft 365 services, those requirements are only going to increase. Uh, and you'll end up probably if up-leveling to Microsoft 365 E3 or something like that. Right. Anyway, you know, my one bit of advice is, do that sooner rather than later. I've worked with customers who bought mix and match. Yes. Uh, I think you could at one point do something similar um, that wasn't license stacking by buying Exchange Online protection licenses uh, back in the day, maybe six or seven years ago, which would give you um, the delta almost of, of Exchange Online Plan 2. as a pain to manage. It was not worth it. The customer regretted 
all that messing around with Microsoft to get the perfect license bundle because it was just a pain. But the feature's there if you want to double license your users. Yeah, you know, it's this is a good example of Microsoft obviously saw there was a need in their customer base to add this feature. Is it an earth-shattering feature that's going to make customers celebrate? I doubt it. Uh, is it technically groundbreaking? Not really. Uh, is it useful? Sure. It's better than getting punched uh, you know, in the mouth. So you know you know, that's kind of the bar that I use. I can imagine um, if I was working somewhere, uh, the CIO or CTO or somebody like that might ask me if I was the exchange admin, so does that mean I'll get more storage? Because uh, not not a month goes by without questions like, well, I've read Microsoft's guidance. I don't really want to use archive mailboxes anymore. Uh, but we've got mailboxes that are over 100 gig. Can I, can I stack some licenses together and give it get, get them to have a 300 gig primary mailbox? I think the answer on that is still no. You don't get more of. You just get a cumulative right. set of features, unfortunately. Um, so some of those obvious questions that you might get asked by um, non-exchange admins um, who might see this and think, this sounds all right. Uh, yeah, they might, might be disappointed. Now, Microsoft Teams. Now, I use Microsoft Teams Rooms on Android uh, a fair bit, actually, because it's quite portable. Uh, you can easily grab uh, a collab bar-style device and right. if you've seen some of our videos on the site where I've used one, I've got a TV. It's great. You can pop it on the top, uh, sit down and, and have a meeting. Uh, and the MTR and Android devices uh, are getting more and more features. For example, mine now will split up the video. So if there's two people sitting, the, the person at the other end will see two video feeds uh, of, of each person, which is pretty cool. Uh, and as an Android improves... MTR on Windows, rather than Android looking more like Windows, Windows is going to look more like the Android version, which is which I didn't see coming. That, that's a bit bizarre, right? I mean, since when? Well, of course, we know we know that with the sad death of Windows Phone, Microsoft is sort of standardized on Android as its I won't say preferred mobile platform, but certainly the platform that they've used with the Surface Duo, yeah, um, and where they have invested in partnerships with other device manufacturers. So it's not completely surprising to see them do this, but it is a bit surprising that they're making Windows look more Android-y instead of the other way other way around. See, I, I the thing I like about the Cloud Bar with Android on is it's got more useful information, though, on the, the TV screen. Right. Um, so it makes more sense. Rather than it just being the time, then it's got your calendar on there because if you don't have a control panel, then you'll use the remote to navigate the device itself. So it makes sense because, you know, there's more features, there's more information on the Android display. But this is going across the, the Windows control panel, uh, which is it's effectively a second monitor with a touchscreen on the, the Android devices. Um, so that'll get that same look and feel. Uh, now, it seems like, well, it's just something that's going to come. But I know lots of organizations will uh, create crib sheets or uh, in some cases maybe have pushed out QR codes that will show on the screen that might uh, point to documentation that shows how to use it. Obviously, if the whole look and feel of the device is changing, then you're going to need to go and redo these. You're also going to need to monitor when your devices get these updates because they. Yes. if you don't manage them and you can't as easily manage the update cycle on a MTR for Windows 
uh, or MTR on Windows device, then you may be leaving it until it just gets the Windows update uh, or the app update from the store for the uh, the Teams app. So you may have very little control over when you get this. Which which is always that's always the thing with with updates in the service, right? Is you may be informed, but you're really never in control over when a particular feature hits your tenant or your or your estate. Well, exactly. I mean, we, you have this on the on the desktop with Windows um, and Teams at the moment, where the Teams app gets updates in a seemingly random way. Uh, yes, on, on <laughs> seemingly random. I like that. On the Android. Um, MTR devices and phones, uh, panels, you've got far more control over when the updates for the firmware, the OS, and the app itself are pushed out. You can hold them back, roll them back, or push them out, uh, whereas you can't do the same from the TAC. Uh, instead, you need to use, you need to enroll them uh, and use traditional Windows right. management techniques, which obviously not everybody would want to do. It's true. Now, speaking of things that not everybody always wants to do, right? I'm, I'm actually happy to see this feature because it's going to eliminate one of the three most common questions in Teams meeting. Yeah. The number one most common question, of course, is, can you hear me? The second most common is, can you see my screen? And the third is, is everybody okay if we record this meeting? Yeah. So Microsoft is adding a policy that you can set in Teams that when the policy is enabled, the recording can only start if every user explicitly consents to the recording by clicking a button that says, yes, I'm okay with this being recorded. That means you don't have to ask anymore, which I think is a, it's a nice improvement. I will be interested to see how this lands because uh, it's always awkward when somebody asks that question, especially if you don't work for that company and they're asking to record you. Yes. And you kind of think, I don't really want them to because but I it, don't know where but it this might be is rude to be say used. no. Yes, and exactly, it would be, it would be rude to say no. So you always say yes. So it'll be interesting to see whether it shows who said yes and no. Um, because oh, I hadn't thought about that. If it if it does, then you've still got that problem, and it can. You know, it's obviously a bit embarrassing. If it doesn't, then well, you won't know, will you? So that awkward bit where. Uh, 50 people in a meeting or 20 people in a meeting or something like that, uh, where you could be saying, well, somebody's not pressed yes yet. And it could just be somebody right. who, <laughs> who hasn't put their headphones on or has walked away for a moment. Um, right. You know, so how, how it lands is going to be very interesting. I'm also interested, the feature description in the message center says that what will happen if a user does not give consent, uh, then that – you the, the the user's individual audio, video, and content sharing won't be captured. So that leads me to think the way they're actually implementing this is not that there has to be unanimous consent before the meeting can be recorded. Yeah. It just means if you don't consent, you won't be recorded, well, which I sort of love. Yeah, right? I, I kind of like that. Yeah, uh, that that means that I can that means sense. I can show I can show up in a meeting. I can decline being recorded. I can say any awful thing that I want. Your products are rubbish. I hate your face. Uh, you know, I could just go go wild, and none of that will be preserved in the medium recording. So, I can't imagine anybody would ever misuse that feature. We'll just have to see how that works out. Well, of course, uh, everyone listening, including myself, is now thinking about how we can abuse that feature. Uh, <laughs> or maybe that's just me. Um, you know, I was the kid at school that got kicked out of the IT labs for messing around. 
<laughs> so, so, so I, I bet when the feature team was working on this, their threat model did not include Paul and Steve on Practical Three Sixty Five, and yeah. when they were things they were worried about. I, it does make sense, though, doesn't it? But the thing is, these whether you're recorded or not, then if you were rude to somebody in a meeting, it doesn't matter whether you were on tape, uh, so to speak. That's true. That's true. You know, that's true. These, these, if you if you're rude to somebody in a meeting, whether or not you're recorded, you're going to get in trouble. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but you know, some people have opinions on that. I, I I think that's a good catch, though. That it's not. It's going to record the meeting from the point somebody presses record from the sound of it, but it's not going to record you until you press yes. Correct. Um, so that'll be interesting because sometimes the organiser of a meeting is not the person presenting. And the that person presenting true. might be getting ready to present. They may have, if they're on a single laptop, a lot of salespeople, for example, have a single laptop. They don't really trust PowerPoint Live, so they'll share their in, they'll share PowerPoint and it'll be covering everything on the screen. So they're going to end up not being recorded uh, by accident. Um, in some right. cases, um, and that there's edge cases as well where you know courts and, uh, and places like that are using um, the, this technology where it would naturally make sense for them to ask for consent, uh, but they aren't going to be able to trust a defendant, for example, not to process. Right. So you you know you're not going to use this policy everywhere, are you? You know it's it's going to have to fit certain scenarios and you're going to have to communicate it so that people don't make mistakes that they'll regret. So speaking of regret, Steve. Yes. <laughs> I have many. I have. <laughs> Luckily we don't have time to go into all of either of our individual or collective regrets. Um, it has become clear in the car manufacturer market that the very small number of car makers that have not licensed Apple CarPlay regret it because yeah. it is such it generates so much brand loyalty and uh, you and i've talked about this before on the show that the team's support for carplay is maybe not what it could be but i think you have some happy news about that yes um i mean i'll i'll believe it when i see it um i'll prefix this with because we were shown uh screenshots of all of this working and then i went and eagerly tested it in the car didn't work then went back to a microsoft blog post and the screenshots had disappeared um because <laughs> when you were on a website you could just rewrite history uh clearly um and uh it does seem that now uh or soon you'll be able to when you're using apple carplay with teams be able to look at the calendar view on apple carplay and then press and join a meeting Simple things, right? Um, we've, we've talked about this before. Obviously, people don't always follow the rules. And people will pick up their phone if they can't do it on the safe screen that's integrated into the car and um, and, and gives them a display that's going to be integrated. It's easy to see. It's big. It's usually in the line of sight so you can still see the road they will instead, to try and avoid being seen by the police, pick up the phone, look down, and then go open up Teams, right. try and find the calendar, then go and find the meeting, press join, then it'll pop up, and then they'll have to, yes, choose to either dial them back or or join from uh, the device itself, um, in which case you could have uh, run over 17 people, 
crashed into three lorries and uh, ended up on a train track or, or something of that ilk. Uh, so why Microsoft didn't do this before, I don't know, uh, because it just seems like like it was as if to say, well, it's not my problem if somebody does use the device in a, a dangerous way. Uh, that's better than us risking being sued because we've made an integration that works with CarPlay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. CarPlay, uh, I just found an app for CarPlay that will uh, look up a navigation route that you give it and will show you weather radar data along the route so you have some idea of what the weather will be like on your journey, which I think is a superb example of something that you could do it on a phone, but having it on the screen in front of you uh, where it's easy to see and easy to navigate without having to go heads down is is extremely useful. So I have you know high optimism yeah. uh, that this this will be equally useful. I mean, I've just got a new car, and the charging it has a, a charger for the the phone, and it has uh-huh. uh, it's it's down near your feet in a way. It's a BMW iX, which is like an X5 sort of size electric car, and you put the phone down in a holder that you can't see or look at, um, and it has wireless That's Apple, clever. Apple CarPlay and wireless Android Auto. So there's real benefits of using this stuff that way. Um, and there's there's actually nowhere to put your phone that's within the driver's line of sight. So it you know you need features like this if you're going to actually use the features on the go. Um, you know, personally, it's very rare that I'd, I'd do that these days. You know, there's much less driving around from site to site but you're going to have loads of folk who are who are traveling salespeople and so on who this is just you know this just makes their day more productive being able to listen into a meeting as they're on their en route to somewhere which is no more dangerous really than listening to the radio or, or listening to an audiobook in some cases you know as long as you're not conducting a meeting trying to present a powerpoint as you drive along a, uh, a freeway um then you know why why wouldn't you want to make that as safe as possible knowing people will do it anyway that is very true uh i hope uh, to see similar improvements coming to android as well uh, uh and now i'm now i'm not just stuck with a tesla which i should add you can well, go to teams.microsoft.com um on its web browser while you're driving not that not that i ever would um, that sounds perfectly safe. Yes, please, for the love of God, yes, please don't, don't do, do that. that. Um, yes, uh, don't say, don't stay, say that Steve told you to. No, whatever you, you do. Uh, um, I, I found this out from another MVP, Stephen Collier. Um, so blame him. I did try it while stationary, <laughs> and the browser in this car, on the car is so slow, it doesn't actually work. To be fair, uh, but you know you can't do it in in Tesla's. You know it's a big advantage for, as you say, it generates that brand loyalty. You can jump from car to car and use it. You know, if you're renting a car, get one with with CarPlay or, or Apple Android on, and then you're in your meetings. You know, as uh, as you're, you're traveling to the destination. Uh, so it's it's good stuff. So speaking of good stuff, I know this was not in our show notes, but there is one more thing that I want yes. to mention. So what I was doing this month's updates for Office 365 for IT pros. Yes, I discovered that the Planner team finally shipped GridView. Oh, it it was delayed and it was delayed and it was postponed and it was delayed and then it was completely silent and then it was delayed again. And now we have it. So good work to the planner team. Thank you for shipping a useful, meaningful feature. Um, yeah, your your schedule prediction maybe still needs some work, but I'm glad the features out there. You can read about it in the planner chapter or uh, I might even do a short 
practical or a short practical 365 piece on it. That's how interesting I think it is. I, so. I mean, I'm using that. I think we talked about that uh, a few weeks ago when it came onto the roadmap, alongside being able to have recurring tasks. I'm using the recurring yes. tasks uh, a lot. That's a really, really good feature. You know, that really makes Planner 10 times more useful. So I use it for my articles, like the podcast, for example. I've got a planner set up, and for the podcast, I just put it in every two weeks, you know, and then I can get all the things I need for the show notes, all that sort of stuff, put in on a regular basis, you know, just for this. Uh, but it's But alongside all my other tasks to do, it's just really, really useful. Instead of having a calendar appointment saying do your expenses right. every month, um, do this instead. And the clever thing about the recurring tasks in Planner is you can say the last Friday of the month and things like that, which is uber useful. Like it's February, for example. I'm setting these yes. up for the first time. And my first thought was, oh, well, I don't want to do payroll for my wife's company on the end of the, you know, on the 28th every month. I want it the last Friday of every month. I wish it could do that. Clicked around a bit. Oh, it can. Oh, this is nice. So, yeah, Planner has shipped Gridview, the recurring tasks. They're, they, they're more useful than you'd think. You know, that they're really good features. That is very true. Mm. All right. On that note, I really don't have any more updates for this week. Well, this is that's, that's all we were going for this week. Some really good, useful updates that you need to tell people about or test yourself uh, and have a play with as well. Uh, so thank you, as always, uh, for listening to us, because uh, that is all we've got time for for today. It is indeed. So I want to encourage you to tune in to Practical360.com or follow us and get new episodes wherever you get your awesome podcast from. Steve, until then, enjoy your new car and uh, don't hit anything. <laughs>